The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, humans have a complicated relationship with work. We invent the car so we don't have to walk anymore. So then we invent a machine where we pretend to walk. We invent the escalator so we don't have to take stairs anymore. So we invent a machine where we pretend to take the stairs. We invent machines that lift heavy objects for us so we don't have to do it. So we invent machines where we have to pretend to lift heavy objects. So every time we invent one invention that takes away work, we invent another machine that gives back the work we've taken away. See, we have a complicated relationship with work. Work dominates our existence. We have schoolwork. We have job work. We have housework. We have kitchen work. We have garden work. We work from home. We work, work, work. And then when we retire, we complain we have no work. We complain when we do have work and we complain when we don't have work. And we're getting more and more busy. Hugh Mackay, who's a social commentator, said, once upon a time when we asked people how they were going, they would say, oh, I'm, I'm good. But now when we ask people how they're going, we say, I'm busy. And we are getting more busy. Now, both partners work. We work longer hours, and yet there's less job satisfaction and things cost more and more. So how can we find meaning in our work? So welcome again to our February series of talks where we're looking at the meaning of life and we're looking at these questions. How can I find meaning in the daily grind, in the, in the search for knowledge, in the pursuit of pleasure, and the drudgery of work. And what we're doing is week by week, one by one, we're looking at each of these questions and we're seeing what the Bible, in particular a book called Ecclesiastes, has to say about our question. And this comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me followed by some question and answer from you guys. And today is week four, question four, how can I find meaning in the drudgery of work? And we can define work as this. Work is productive and constructive activity. It's not eating, it's not sleeping, it's not rest, it's not leisure, it's productive, constructive activity. And it doesn't have to be paid because there's unpaid work, there's volunteer work, but for most of us here, we're in employed, paid work. And this is what the Bible in front of us in that first chunk says about work. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. This man says he has worked. He's tried it out. And he's asking, well, what's the point? Where's the joy? What did he gain? In other words, where's the meaning in work? And maybe we're asking the same question. We too are asking, is this what I want to do for the next 20 or 40 years of my life? And maybe we're finding we're turning up to work as late as possible and we're leaving work as early as possible. And we too are asking the same question, what is the point? 
What do I gain? Where is the joy? How can I find meaning in my work? And that's what we're going to look at now. And in the outline in front of us, you see there are two parts to my talk. In the first part, we'll look at problems with work. And in the second part, we'll look at well, what might be some solutions about work. So let's begin with the first part of the talk. Problems when it comes to work. And here I suggest three things. And the first problem is this. Often it's hard to find purpose in our work. Dan Ariely is a behavioral psychologist. And they did this experiment where they got a group of people and they divided them into two groups. The first group got some Lego pieces and they had to build a Lego model. And when they had finished the model, it was ta-da, and the model got put on the shelf like a trophy. And they said to them, you can do this as many times as you want and we will pay you $3 for the first time, less and less each time, but you can do this as many times as you want. Build something, ta-da, and we'll put it on the shelf like a trophy and you start again with another one and another one. The second group, they also gave them Lego. They also got them to build something, but at the end of it, they took the thing apart and put it back into pieces. And then they said, now start again with those same pieces. And we'll also pay you, begin with $3 and less and less each time. Well, the second group, they just did it like three times. I was like, okay, I'm over this. There's no point. You keep taking my thing apart. So no matter what you're paying me, it's not enough. The second group, they just kept going and going. The first group, they just kept going and going and going into the point where they weren't getting paid to do it. Because it was purposeful. There was a point to it. And we can do work if it's purposeful. It's not so much about the pay. It's whether there's a point to what we're doing. Stephen Bidoff in his book Manhood, and Stephen Bidoff is a psychologist, says the same thing. He says for job satisfaction, there needs to be obvious purpose behind our job. And that's why jobs where there's obvious purpose, like nursing or teaching, have very high levels of job satisfaction, even though they don't pay that much. So it's not so much about the pay, it's whether there's obvious purpose behind what we do at work. And that might be a problem for many of us. This is Barry Schwartz. He's a psychologist. He writes about work. And he says, once upon a time, there was obvious purpose in work. We might have made bread, or maybe we built a table, or we fixed shoes. But now, because of the Industrial Revolution and factories and corporations, we have atomized work where we're given one job, one small task, we're told to do it well, and we do it over and over and over again. And we're not quite sure what the purpose is for what we do because now we're just one small cog in a big machine. And Barry Schwartz says this atomization of work has made work monotonous, meaningless, and soul deadening. So that's the first problem with work. There might not be obvious purpose for what we do. The second problem with work is this. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. This is Margaret Heffernan. She's a business specialist And she talks about an experiment they did at Purdue University where they got egg-producing hens and they put them into two groups. In one group, they put together all the mediocre hens. They produce a mediocre amount of eggs. 
in the other compound, they put together all the high-achieving hens. These are the ones that produce a lot of eggs. And so at the end of the experiment, the mediocre hens, well, they were mediocre. They just produced a mediocre amount of eggs. The other group of high-achieving hens, at the end of the experiment, they were all dead. They had killed each other. They had pecked each other to death. And that's a problem with high achieving. It's based on a pecking order, a meritocracy. In a meritocracy, you have to get ahead and other people have to fall behind. To win, you actually have to make someone else lose. To get ahead, you have to push people behind you to get ahead. And we have based work on a meritocracy. We are ranked. We're given a percentile. And that becomes our identity and purpose to achieve a high percentile. And so we go to high school, not to learn, but to get a percentile at the end of high school. And then university degrees get ranked. So it's better to do medicine than dentistry, science rather than arts, not because these are better degrees than these ones, but because you need a higher percentile to get into these degrees than those degrees. We are ranked by percentiles. And then universities get ranked by percentiles. So if you do medicine, it's better to do medicine at Sydney University than New South University than Newcastle. Not because these are better universities, but because you need a higher percentile to get into Sydney than the other universities. It's all about rankings, percentiles, it's a meritocracy, it's a pecking order. And then we project the same anxieties upon our children. When your child walks, first thing you want to know is, what percentile is that? Are they ahead or behind on the curve? When your child talks, is this early or late? Are they ahead or behind the curve? What percentile are they in for talking? And then when your child wets the bed at night, Oh, it's not so much that they've wet the bed that, oh, now they're definitely falling behind the bell curve. They're down the lower percentiles that they're still wetting the bed. And so then we make our children do music. Not because we want them to be musical, but it will get them ahead. We get them, push them into sports and touring because it will get them ahead. It's all about ranking percentiles, meritocracy and pecking orders. And so at work, our friends now become our rivals. We can't tell each other what we earn. We can't tell our friends at work that we've just got headhunted for another job. You're meant to keep that a secret. Why? Because your friends are your rivals. We are competing against each other for finite, limited resources. That's a problem with work. It's a meritocracy. It's a dog-eat-dog world. There's a pecking order. We're ranked. And to get ahead, we have to make other people fall behind us. The third problem with work is this. Often, we don't get to enjoy the rewards for our work. These are my three boys, Toby, Cooper, and Jonty. And part of my work as a father is I have to take them to a park to play. And at first, I thought, this is fantastic. When I go to the park, there'll be rewards for me. I too can walk around the park. Maybe I can read the paper, drink a coffee while they play. But it's all work. When I get there, they want me to push them on a swing. And they're always saying, watch me, Dad. Watch me, watch me. And if they fall over and hurt themselves, now I have to help them. So I don't get to walk around the park. I don't get to drink my coffee. 
I don't get to read my paper. It's all work, but with no reward for my work. And that's the problem with work. We work, but often we don't enjoy the rewards. We work hard to pay off a house. And so now we're never home to enjoy the house. We work hard to pay off a car. So now we're prisoner in the car commuting to work. We work hard to give our children a better future. But now we never see our children because of our work. And even if we do give our children a better future, they're not going to appreciate it and they're just going to waste it away. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, David and Goliath, says every culture has a saying about how wealth only lasts three generations. The first generation, through great adversity and hard work, will get themselves out of poverty into wealth. The second generation just enjoys the wealth as if they're entitled to it. And the third generation forgets all about the hard work and they lose the wealth. So even if we give our children a better future, they don't appreciate it and they waste it away. Which is exactly what this guy in the Bible is saying in the first chunk. I hated all the things I had worked for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish Yet they'll have control over all the fruit, the rewards of my work, into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor and work under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Whatever we work for, we don't get to enjoy, and the person we leave it to will waste it, and they won't appreciate it. So how can we find meaning in our work? The answer comes in the second chunk that's in front of us, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race, And he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their work. This is a gift. It's a gift from God for us to enjoy And I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him, so that people will love God, worship him, and follow him. So what might be a possible solution about work? From this Bible passage, I think we can learn two things. Number one, we need to see work as a gift from God rather than something we gain from our own hard work. Work is a gift from God, not something we gain. We've got a good friend called Heather, and she went to America, and she came back with presents for my three young boys, and she brought back the latest Star Wars lightsabers. Now, my boys love Star Wars, I love lightsabers, but my middle child, Cooper, who's six, he had been hoping for a red lightsaber, not a green lightsaber. So he was disappointed for a little while, but 
Then he reframed how he saw the lightsabers. The red lightsaber was a gift. He didn't earn it. He didn't pay money for it. He didn't gain it from his own hard work. If he had paid money and asked for a green lightsaber and got a red one, of course you'd be unhappy. But this was a gift which he didn't ask for, which Heather didn't have to give him. So he should enjoy this as a gift for him to enjoy it. And so he did. He reframed how he saw his lightsabers. And the Bible was saying the same thing. We need to reframe how we see our work. Our work is a gift from a good God for us to enjoy. See, life is more than a meritocracy. Our work is a gift from God. So yes, there's a little bit of meritocracy when it comes to work. There's a little bit. We all worked harder than HSC. We all got a uni. We got a degree. We've got a resume. So we did put some work into it. But most of what we got from life was a gift from God. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose what schools our parents sent us to. We didn't choose what countries we got to grow up in. This was a gift. See, there are many people in Somalia, Syria, Siberia, who would love to have the job we have. And they're just as smart, just as hardworking, just as strong at us, but they're never going to be able to have our jobs. They just won't have that opportunity. Our jobs are a gift from a good God for us to enjoy. We might not have asked for this job. We might want to be something else, but our job right now is a gift from God to us enjoy. It is good in and of itself. Just enjoy it for what it is, a gift from God. Don't make any more of it than what it is. Don't make any less of it than what it is, but enjoy it as a gift from a good God for us to enjoy. But if that's true, we also need the second solution, and that is if there is a God, we need to know, love, and worship this God. This is the iconic 1980s movie, Karate Kid. And the two main characters are the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. And as you know, the Karate Kid has to train for a tournament. And Mr. Miyagi trains him. But the training is a bit weird. It doesn't make any sense to the Karate Kid because he has to paint a fence, remember? And then he has to wax the guy's car. Wax on, wax off, wax on. Wax off. And he's saying, what is the point of this? This is meaningless. Ah, oh, but all is revealed when that karate tournament happens. And suddenly he realizes, these are the defensive karate moves. He needs to win the karate tournament. So even though he couldn't see it at the time, if he could just trust Mr. Miyagi, there was meaning, purpose, wisdom, There is a plan in what he was doing. And if there is a God of this universe, he has given us a job to enjoy. And even though we might not be able to see the purpose, there's wisdom, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's a plan in what God gives us. So basically in life, we have two choices when it comes to work. Choice number one, you know what? There is no God of this universe. I'm just a bunch of impersonal molecules in an impersonal universe. Uh, We're just one of many species on this planet. This universe will keep on going with or without me. So my work is meaningless. It makes no difference. Or 
there is a God of this universe. And he gives me my job as a gift. It's good in and of itself for me to enjoy. And even though I can't quite see the plan behind it, I would just trust that God has wisdom, meaning, and purpose. And somehow in my work, I will bring God's love, mercy, justice, and goodness onto this planet. But even more than that, we have the New Testament in the Bible, which talks about Jesus. And it says, better than that, if we know Jesus, we know the God of this universe, and we're in relationship with his boss. And now in our work, we're actually no longer working for our human bosses. It says, Jesus is now the boss we're working for. He sees everything. He has purpose. And he will reward us for our work. So even though we don't feel any immediate reward or purpose, Jesus has purpose and he will reward us for our work. I work one day a week as a doctor. I work as a surgical assistant. So I hold legs for a surgeon. A trained monkey can do what I do. And the only reason why I turn up to work is so they don't find out how good it went without me there. So I turn up just so I don't lose my job. But again, a trained monkey could do what I do, but the government in its wisdom says, no, a doctor needs to do it. So I get paid to hold a leg for a surgeon one day a week. Now, this is how I get paid. If there are six cases on that day, I get paid for six cases. But if there's only one case, I only get paid for one case. And sometimes it's not worth it just for one case. And on one day, I was driving in traffic to work, and I thought, you know, there's only one case. Really? This isn't even going to pay for the petrol. And here I am in traffic. What is the point of this? This time I thought, what am I saying? I'm working as a doctor. Millions of people love to be a doctor. This is a great job. And we're going to fix someone's knee. We're going to get this person working and playing sports again. And this is more than a knee. This knee belongs to a person who's a husband and a father. And by doing this, this is my way of bringing God's love, mercy, justice and goodness onto this planet. And more than that, I know Jesus and I am actually doing this for Jesus. And if I'm not feeling the reward and love, Jesus will give me the reward and love that this work deserves. But you might be thinking, wow, come on, you're a doctor. They make TV shows about doctors. They don't make TV shows about accountants. And I'm an accountant. Boring. Not true. Not true. I sat next to an accountant once at a party, and I asked him what he did. He said, I do auditing. Huh. So I said, auditing. I don't know how to say this nicely, but they tell me it's not very exciting, auditing. He said, not true. Auditing is so exciting. I've got to work out where the money is. See, the corporations, what they tell me is not what they're really doing with the money. They're lying to me. There's a trail and I can find it. They leave clues. They leave crumbs. They leave fingerprints. I need to find where the money really is, not where it is in the books, not where they're telling me. So I am a detective. So he sees himself like CSI or true detective or Charlie's Angels. See, it's all in how we tell the story. So how do we find meaning in our work? Well, we see our work as a gift given from a good God for us to enjoy. It is good in and of itself. And even if we can't see the plan or the purpose, God has his wisdom, 
his plan, his purpose, and his meaning in the job he's given us. And somehow we're part of God's plan to bring his love, his mercy, his justice, and his goodness onto this planet. And even better, if we know Jesus, we will know the God of this planet. And Jesus is our boss, and he will reward us for our work. And that is the purpose and reward and meaning in our work. Every now and then, I get to drive my three boys to school. And we go through this little ritual. On the way to school, we take turns praying. And this has almost become their default prayer. They'll pray a prayer very similar to this. Dear God, thank you that we can go to school. Thank you that Daddy can go to work. And we pray that today we can have fun. And that's their prayer. And I think that sums it all up. What we have as work is a gift from a good God for us to enjoy. And don't make any more or less of it than what it is. And God has a plan. God has purpose. And that's the meaning in our work. Okay. Well, you ready? Sure. They, they, they start coming fast and furious. Okay. First one is very important. What's the most important color of lightsaber? Red. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know. I really don't know. Okay. um, If you were to follow Jesus, is it wrong Mm. to be competitive with others at work? And how can you know if you're over-competitive or just doing your best? Yes. Well, it all comes down to attitude. What is the attitude of the heart? Uh, The attitude of the heart is the difference between a gift and a bribe, manslaughter, Mm. or murder. Same action, different attitude is a completely different moral action. So what is the motive in my heart for wanting to do this? Two years ago, I stopped teaching at a Bible college, and I wanted to actually go back into full-time medicine. And I thought, I'm going to specialize, finish my specialization, which I hadn't done before. And my neighbor, who was a careers advisor, and not even you know, a, a Christian, he said to me, why? Why do you want to do this? I had to examine my heart. So is it for status? Is it for security? Or is it for something else? Because the Bible says status and security should come from God. And so if I'm using my work to give me what only God can give me, then my work has become God. It's become an idol. So the question you have to ask yourself is, a nice helpful diagnostic question is, what would happen if I didn't get this? Like, what am I fearing? What am I losing? Am I losing just a job? Or am I losing my identity, my purpose, my status, uh, my importance, even how I see myself? And I think often for us, that is why we're chasing getting ahead. But at the same time, we do need um, like, uh, people who well, Christians in high places. Because, uh, as I said, we're part of God's plan to bring his love, his mercy, his justice, his goodness on the planet. And sometimes that is done better in, in some positions rather than others. So I'll just... Um, and so, again, what is your motive? Is it to serve God or is it to become God? And I guess that's maybe the, the, the question we ask us. And how would I feel if I didn't get this? Like, if I'm here to serve God and I don't get that position, I think, well, okay, I'll serve God some other way. But if it was, this was the God in our life, it, it would crush us. And we actually might feel spiteful and angry and bitter and jealous. Okay. All right. The next question, I'm, I'm going to combine a couple. So sure. if I do get this wrong, please just clarify. But how is work a gift from God? 
Don't we earn the job by a meritocracy, work, experience, and qualifications? Didn't I earn it? Or how is that a gift from God? Yeah. So, of course, there's a little bit of meritocracy in our Western society. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, meritocracy only plays a very, very small part in what goes on. Like uh, much of what happens is a gift. It's context. It's things that we can't control. It's opportunities. Again, we can't choose our parents. We can't choose what schools they sent us to. Uh, We can't choose what opportunities are available to us. And we can't choose uh, the country we grow up in. And so as much as we like to say, hey, I earned my job, with the same skills and qualifications, if you're in Somalia, we wouldn't have this job. So there's so much more of it that is a, a, a gift. And it, and it is a gift uh, because they, they've done studies that in people who can't find work, 100% are, are miserable. They're depressed. They have clinical depression. So somehow by giving us work, God gives us joy. It's a gift to enjoy. Well, actually, that goes to the next question. Sure. Is actually then, how does, what does the Bible have to say about those that are unemployed? Wow. Okay. So obviously there are reasons, out, again, circumstances out of our control. Uh, and so for some of us, we can't work, maybe because uh, there's family to look after, uh, we're in between jobs, we have disabilities or something. So things out of our control happen, and, and so it's not an ideal position, but there are reasons why it's not an ideal position. But the Bible has words for, uh, for those of us who can work, and it says we have to work for several reasons. It's good, it's a gift from God, we'd be depressed if we don't work, but what the work does for us is it lets us pay our own bills so we're not always having to borrow from someone else. It also lets us be generous to those who can't work. And it's also our way of bringing God's love, mercy, justice, and goodness on, onto the planet. So that's why we should work. Okay. All right. And Now, what happens with, with God's gift, mm-hmm. work, is toxic, politics riddled, and death mm. by a thousand cuts. I don't think I enjoy it too much. Did I get a dud gift? Did you? Did, did we? I, yeah. Did I get the green lightsaber? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's almost cr- like career advice. Well, one hand, <laughs> reframe how we see the world and and redeem some of the goodness. And we think, well, what does make work so cursed? Uh, and the Bible actually talks about that there there are some inherent built-in frustrations to work. So one of the original early stories in the Bible about the original humans, Adam and Eve. Uh, originally, the, the world was good, the planet was good, but because we've dishonored God, rejected God in our own way, somehow we're doomed to frustration and the world is no longer totally good. And part of the frustrations, God says, it's like you're gardening, but there'll be weeds from now on. So somehow the way we even work a garden is going to be frustrated. There'll always be weeds. And also says, and people can never get along anymore. There'll always be interpersonal conflict. And that's probably, and really, that's probably ninety percent of the reason why work is miserable. It's the people we work with that that make work miserable. It's the interpersonal conflict. Uh, it says, for the original couple, uh, your desire will be for him, but he will rule over you. So there'll be conflict. And interestingly, Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he gradually he hasn't completely done it, but he gradually redeems work for us because now we can work with different motives. It's to serve God with Jesus as our boss, and he sees everything, and he rewards us. But also he redeems interpersonal relationships. So much of the Bible is saying, hey, because of Jesus, now we can change the way we relate to other people. Uh, we don't have to be ambitious. 
We don't have to be jealous and we can love and, and put other people's needs before ours because that's what Jesus did for us. So through Jesus, we can slowly but surely redeem even the work we're given. Now, someone's going to ask, yeah, but my job is still toxic. Is there anything I can do? Well, yes, we're in a society where we can make choices. We have account, uh, with choices come responsibility, but we do have choices, and so we can change work. So after a while, you might think, I can't redeem this job. Maybe there's another job I can redeem, and we should be free to move on. Okay. Well, we've got about a minute left, so I'm going to leave the last question. Sure. I don't know if it's too big or not. Is it okay to love your job or love your career? Is it okay to love your job? Well, remember I had that throwaway line, work is a gift from God for us to enjoy, but don't make any more of it than what it is, and don't make any less of it than what it is. And we can make more of it than what it is. It becomes more than a job, becomes our identity, our purpose, our meaning, and that's when we make too much of our job, and maybe we love our job too much. And the signs are it started affecting our interpersonal relationships, maybe our friendships, maybe our family, and maybe even ourselves. So after I might think, I don't like what this job has done to me, uh, it, might, it might be a warning sign. Okay. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.